bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. And Erica, we're keeping it out west this week. Because that's where shit is going down. Our last episode was called Wild Wild West. And honestly, it's only escalated from there. I feel like this is part two. Yeah, it's the sequel. It's the sequel. Call up Will Smith. Eh. You know, what Eh. a bad movie that was. Eh. It was. (laughs) It was. It was so bad. (laughs) bad. I love Salma Hayek. So like, even though she's she's been problematic a couple of times. But, you know, I, I still I still love Salma Hayek. Sorry. <laughs> and Erica, to make sure that we have the right context and are, you know, naming the right people and calling them out, <laughs> we are joined today by Mo Amir. And Mo, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, Aaron, Erica, thanks so much for uh, having me on the show. Very excited to be here. Very excited to dish some hot takes. This is Van Color was a podcast I started in 2018. It's now a television show on Czech. And basically, I interview folks uh, in politics and the culture, pretty BC focused because Czech is a regional TV station. And I just interview them about what's going on. And it's less uh, the hot topics or the, the topical stuff and more a bit of a zoom out on, on the culture and implications for uh, what's happening in the province and particularly Metro Vancouver. So that's my shtick. Uh, I do some hot takes on CBC as well and uh, here and there. Uh, around the interwebs. So uh, happy to be here. I've been uh, w- a longtime listener, first time caller, and, and it's an honor that I, I'd be here. I just hope I don't disappoint your fans with my boring centrism, but I guess we'll <laughs> we'll find out. You know what, that makes You're me You're not want- that centrist though. You're not like <laughs> aggressively centrist. You got the mushy middle? <laughs> not a mushy middle. No, 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 no. I'll try to, I'll try to actually come up with a, you know, a point. So not uh not entirely mushy metal. What what interests me about what you were just talking about, Mo, is that Vancouverites particularly don't really f- strike me as people who are particularly interested in the like details of politics. They kind of just like the vibes. It's a lot of going off vibes, I I find. Oh yeah, no, Vancouver is all about vibes. That's how we roll. I think, you know, there is, certainly on a municipal level, there's a certain disengagement from politics. Uh, It's tough, right? And that's what I try to do is make big issues a little more accessible and try to explain it to people. Because oftentimes a lot of arguments over ideology or even policy begin at a misunderstanding of, of the implications of something. And I don't necessarily think that that's even a, a left or right thing. It's it's about being able to work off the same terminology and, and understand what we're actually talking about. So, you know, I, I think you're right in that in, in that sense that people are going on vibes without actually trying to understand the concepts or ideas in, in the way that they're meant to be understood. And I do think a little bit that Erica and I living in Ottawa gives us a bit of an unfair perspective about uh, and most of the city actually, but an unfair perspective on the function of government and the role and like the getting into the really nitty gritty policy details and how things mm-hmm. function. 
because we are just so entrenched in public service gossip and functioning and the politicking at every kind of level of government. Sure, yeah. And I feel like that here, and I can't comment on Ottawa, obviously, but that here is like a very niche market, right? There's there's like the same characters on Twitter that are going to be, you know, in the weeds of it. But I think there's a general audience that's just trying to understand what's going on. And I know for some of the topics that we're going to chat about today, I had a bunch of friends just text me and being like, oh, why, why is the BC NDP kicking out this smart young brown lady, <laughs> right? Like, and, and trying to understand what is happening can be uh, a task. And I don't expect people to necessarily read a news article and all the wonkiness of details and who these players are and fully understand it. And so that's why I try to zoom out a little bit, at least in my work, at least that's the, uh, the ambition. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of housekeeping, it is Scorpio season, so it means Erica's birthday is right around the corner. And so Erica, when's your birthday? Oh, November 1st. Very exciting. That's where I'm getting yes. my COVID shot. I'll remember it. Oh, okay. That is yeah. hot. Booster. <laughs> COVID booster. <laughs> vax on vax on vax. Nice. Nice. Vax on vax on vax. <laughs> and so because it's Scorpio season and in honor of Erica's birthday, please consider becoming a paid subscriber or gifting a subscription to the podcast, heading over to badandbitchy.com. And then in the Hill Times this week, Erica excoriated Christia Freeland, um, both in terms of her anti-Blackness and her behavior at a Brookings Institution event in Washington, as well as how a National Observer columnist humiliated her in public. Uh, And so the unpaywalled version is on her website, notinmycolor.com. Mo, anything you want to promote other than your show? No, no, that's that's all I got. Um, Find This Is Man Color wherever you listen to this podcast. And yeah, well, actually, I just had Ken Sim on the show and we'll be talking about him in a bit. So uh, So we're going to add, we're going to add your This Is Man Color, This Is Man Color in show notes and on the description. And we will have, I'll add the, our mushy middle. Oh yeah! On real talk, yes. In show notes and the description. Mm-hmm. And so, to access show notes, you do have to become a paid subscriber, though. Yeah, yeah. So fork up that dough, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Also, not only gift a subscription, renew your subscription. Uh, we're in subscription renewal season, so make sure you you get on that. Going back to Mo. Going back to the texts your friends were sending you. The big question right now in BC politics is, why did the BC NDP kick out this brown woman from their party, basically? And- Yeah, and it's a great question. Uh, And it's very very apt. So, I mean, we did talk about this a little bit last week on the pod, and I just want to correct that I did mention that the current NDP government was a coalition, but that was the government before. They Mm -hmm. currently have a majority because John Horgan was smart and went to decided that they should have an election early in COVID that yielded resulted in the majority. So Mo, do you want to give us a little bit of context? We have very scant knowledge of what's really happening. Sure. So as you mentioned, the BCNDP do have a majority government here in British Columbia. And recently, Premier John Horgan decided that he was going to step down from the Premier's office, uh, basically 
instigating a leadership race and a vacuum about who's going to lead the party and become the next premier. And the BCNDP, even in the last time that they selected a leader who was John Horgan, they're very smart in terms of uh, you know, settling it within the family and not really having much of a, a leadership race. That's certainly what they did last time. And I think that's what they wanted to do this time. There was two main names being thrown around. The first was uh, Attorney General David Eby. And the second was a guy by the name of Ravi Kalon. Ravi Kalon, uh, I believe he's the Minister for Innovation or Jobs or one of those portfolios. And he's quite influential, uh, certainly in the business community and in the party itself. Ravi Kalon, uh, and this is, from my understanding, completely true, decided he wasn't going to do it for family reasons. And I know that that's like the excuse that everyone uses, but I think in his case, uh, he's got some young children. And I know, you know, this type of work is, is very hard on a, a young family. So uh, I do believe Ravi when, when he says that um, he just wasn't interested because of um, his commitment to his family. And so what, what seemed to happen then was that it was only Boy, David Eby. Let me Eric. let me interrupt and just say Please. that he made the anti-Tom Brady decision. Is basically <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you can put it that okay. way. That's a good way to okay. put it. Okay, good. So shout out for the guy who uh prioritized his family. I respect it. I respect it. Uh so David Eby was basically seen as like the uh you know the heir apparent. He was the only one running. In fact, I, on my season finale back in, I guess this would be July, I had E.B. on the show and we were very much under the presumption that he was going to be the next premier. And then in the summer, uh, Anjali Apadurai, and I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing her name wrong. I should know this as a South Asian person, but uh, I've heard it pronounced a few different ways. And, I'm, and I don't know if she's anglicizing her name either, but we'll, we'll say Apadurai, apologies to Anjali. Um, she did run in the last federal election in Vancouver Granville, which was Jody Wilson-Raybould's old riding, and uh, she narrowly lost because that was the riding, if you're familiar with Talib Noor Mohammed, who was flipping all these homes and, and came under heat for that, uh, that was the riding that he eventually won in. And so Anjali decides that she will throw her name in the hat, makes it very interesting because you have this so someone who's representing the very young activist wing of the party uh, running for leadership and possibly, you know, becoming the next premier. And throughout the course of this campaign, I think Anjali absolutely hit all the deadlines, but there started to become, there start, you started to see accusations of coordination with her campaign with organizations like Dogwood BC, an environmental organization. And you started to see these accusations come up. The party said that, okay, we're gonna investigate it. And while the investigation was ongoing, there certainly was a, a media campaign to discredit Anjali and to say that, oh, you know, she cheated or she was breaking the rules. And they were bringing up things like, you know, an offhand mark, remark in a Zoom call uh, made by someone else, which Anjali did not correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, they brought up, you know, volunteers or advisors on her campaign saying like, oh, this is clear coordination. I, I, I think that that media, that media blitz that certain partisans were taking on was not good, certainly not good for optics. If there's an investigation, let the investigation play out and then comment on it afterwards. And so anyways, this, this week, the inevitable happened and Anjali Epidore 
uh, was disqualified from the BC NDP leadership race, so she will not be in the race to become the next Premier of BC. Uh, first, the Chief Electoral Officer, Elizabeth Cull, uh, made the recommendation, and then the BC NDP party executive decided that, yeah, we're, we're not going to allow her to run. There's a lot of ways we can look at this. I think the first is that these type of controversies happen in almost every major political party race. You can look at the Conservative Party of Canada. Certainly, they booted uh, Patrick Brown from the race. You can look at the BC Liberals, who are the official opposition. They booted Aaron Gunn from the race. Ultimately, political parties have a lot of executive authority to decide who's going to run for them, who's not going to run for them. Even on a riding basis, you know, they can put in their own people, not have open nominations. These things are unfortunate, but very common. Did Anjali Apadore break the rules? Well, you know, it seems like she did. And, and what, the, what the take here is that independent third parties can help a campaign, but they can't coordinate with any leadership campaign. Sorry, and just and to interject, that, that yeah. would be Dogwood, right? Yes, yeah. Dogwood is the primary one. I think they've mentioned a couple of other ones, but Dogwood is the primary organization. And so there, what, what the charge is that it wasn't that just Dogwood was helping Anjali, it's, it's that they were in direct coordination and perhaps even buying memberships, including memberships from other parties, particularly the BC Greens. Because when you sign up to be an NDP member in BC for the BC NDP, you become a dual member both federally and of um, the BC NDP. And their rule is that you can't actually have a membership in another party. So technically, according to their rules, you could not be a BC NDP member and also a federal liberal member, even though I'm sure many BC NDP voters do vote for the federal NDP or from federal liberals, I should say. So, you know, there are some rules that apparently she broke. Does it warrant disqualification? Maybe. I mean, why not just rip up the memberships that they deem to be fraudulent? That seems to be, uh, at least on its surface, a better strategy. But maybe that's too cumbersome. Or, you know, maybe they just don't want to deal with, with all of this, so they just want to nip it in the bud. Um, I, I feel bad because I think that leadership races are incredibly important. That's where you get a lot of interesting policy ideas and you kind of get the, the feel for the, the, the breadth of a, of a party in terms of how, how big tent it can be. And I think ultimately this, this will bring a question about whether or not elections BC should be involved in these leadership campaigns. Like why not have a third independent party representing you know, the law or the government overseeing these races and making sure that they're above board. Because even if all of this was carried above board with Anjali, people are going to have questions, right? And people think that the that it was rigged and the fix is in. And it's, I'm not one to comment on whether it is or not, but the fact that there is no real oversight, uh, I can understand why people are suspicious. Yeah. And it, wasn't there some issue about trying to make the membership list public or like trying to get both membership, the green party membership list so they could. And, oh, and so this is the, this is one of the key issues here. It's not that they, they're just targeting Anjali. The rumor here is that Anjali signed up, you know, upwards of 14 or 15,000 new members mm -hmm. and David Eby did not hit anywhere close to that. We don't know the official numbers yet, but that was part of the surprise that Eby, who has all of caucus supporting him, who has, you know, Clearly, people in the establishment supporting him, 
um, just didn't do the work over the summer to sign up members, but Anjali did, and that Dogwood in signing up those members actually broke a lot of their uh, internal internal rules, which includes not being member of another party and includes not paying for people's memberships. So uh, yeah, it was it was weird because the BC NDP came out and I think this was a misstep, asking the BC Greens, hey, can we get your membership list to cross-reference Anjali's signups? Uh, and of course the BC Greens were like, go pound sand, like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, well, especially given the, you know, the BC Greens and the BC NDP have a lot of bad blood between each other because the, the BC NDP in, in 2020 ripped up the confidence and supply agreement, the CASA, uh, CASA and called an early election. And they, and they did so within a week of Sonia Firstno, the BC Greens leader, actually becoming leader. So she wasn't even prepared to run a, a campaign. So there's a lot of bad blood there. And, and for them to go to the BC Greens and say, hey, we need your help in our leadership race, it's just bad optics. And I, I don't know what the thinking was, either from the party or even from partisans. And the reality is the BC Greens only have like 3,500 members. Like this idea that this is a BC Greens takeover. Well, even if Anjali got all the members from the BC Greens, that's only 3,500 people. It's not the 14 or 15,000 that are being reported. Right, right. And I, I think we'll get into this in the next part of our, like the second item we're gonna be talking about today, but it seems like the BC NDP just, or the NDP in BC more generally, just like don't really care to do much organizing. I mean, look at Kennedy Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, Kennedy, I mean, we can get into Kennedy Stewart in the next bit. They definitely sat on their hands. I don't, I don't think that, you know, I like some folks there and some MLAs, but like as a party, holy smokes, like how do you not tell every one of your MLAs that endorsed you, hey, I need 300 signups. Exactly. This like, summer, you have two months to sign me up, 300 people, just get it, it done. Yeah, it doesn't seem hard to me, but instead they're not and I can see why voters or prospective members might be excited by the idea of a leader coming to them and trying to engage them and listen to them especially because like you're saying um, David Eby being so much in the establishment that he's just so far removed from the electorate and I, I find this a lot with career politicians at every level is that you increasingly, unless you maintain a close relationship with the grassroots organizations, you just become increasingly disassociated from actual voters and what they want. That could definitely play a role in it. I, I think what's really shocking is that they, the BCNDP let their membership numbers dwindle down to about 11,000. And it's like, yes, I get that you're a majority government, but at the same time, like, don't all of the MLAs also spend time politicking and raising money and doing all this other stuff? So the fact that they completely, even before the leadership race, just let their membership dwindle to such a low level, I think is shocking. And I hope for the good of the party, they smarten up and they take it seriously. And, and seriously, not just in terms of the politicking and the organizing, but start taking it seriously in some of the, the policy and the programs that they've outlined. You know, I, I'm... I've been on record to say that I thought their first term when they were a, a minority government with the CASA agreement with the, the BC Greens, I thought that was incredible governance. I would give mm. it a B plus, and that's like the highest I could ever give a government. Uh, they did a lot of great things. And then ever since they got their majority government, I'm just not sensing that same sense of ambition, 
or vision. And, you know, I think that's great now that, and when they're in a place that's now great that they're having a leadership race to maybe renew that. But the fact that over the summer, we didn't see that excitement or ambition again, it's, it's just weird. And I, you know, they've only been in power five years. The previous government was in power for 16 years. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess you can chalk it up to government-itis, but in the context of all the challenges that we are, that all Canadians and British Columbians are facing, it just seems, it, it seems like it's full of hubris and a bit of laziness. And uh, I say that very, you know, without trying to offend those folks there, but I, I just hope that they smarten up. Yeah, and I think that in addition to, the technicalities of it all can kind of seem as an excuse to maintain the the influence and power of the establishment and have some upstart woman who's not white kind of take over the party and steer it in a way that they may not be comfortable with or may not want. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think this is kind of where where Erica's chomping at the bit to get in. <laughs> But it does really come across like they just didn't want this like brown woman to lead the province and lead the party in a way that they don't agree with. Right. And so it goes back to what I was saying about optics, right? Like, I don't know if what you said is completely true. It's, it's, it looks that way, though. And I, and I can understand why people are taking it that way, because the, the sort of pre the campaign to discredit Anjali while the investigation was going on. The, the whole thing about asking for the BC Greens, you know, membership list, it, it just does, I can see how it rubs people the wrong way. And to be honest, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like I'm, it just doesn't look good and why they didn't even have a central plan or why they didn't go out to their partisans and influencers and say, hey, everyone shut up. Like we're doing an investigation. We're just going to, we're just going to call it that and try to keep it as clean as possible is, is beyond me. Well, yeah, especially because like, since they disqualified Anjali, they've moved up. Well, because now David Eby is going to be acclimated. So they're just moving it up and he's going to be premier by like this time next week, baby. Yeah. Yeah. But by early November, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he had an offhand comment where I think when Anjali entered the race, he said something along the lines of like, oh, I'm frustrated because it, it prevents me from governing for a few months. He said something offhand. I, I, you know, it's it's a forgivable said, thing that he said. No, he said the quiet part out loud. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this yeah, is what please. I feel. I feel like this is all about power and where power resides and where power is concentrated. Basically, this upstart, upstart, and I'm using quotations, okay, mm-hmm. came in and disrupted the quote-unquote natural order of things. That's what I see. Secondly, um, the issue with Dogwood, I could see if Elections Canada was like, okay, look, we're going to disqualify you or re-recommend disqualification. That's one thing. But to have this internal investigation and all the, the it's just not transparent. And it wasn't a check and balance if it's internal, right? And so... That to me is just suspect. And third, I could see a fine being delivered by Elections Canada. Let Elections Canada do that work. 
You know what I mean? And that is the problem. The, the way they've done this, the way this is unfolded is fucking questionable. And they should have been extra careful to dot their I's across their T's because you're talking about a young activist, a, a woman and a woman of color. How do you not look like a racist? Because right now they're looking pretty racist. I will be honest with you. And on top of that, they let their membership lapse for a reason. I really do think this is about making sure that the power is concentrated within certain members, just like a Green Party, for example. And, you know, this idea, Premier Horgan was like, oh, that's poppycock. And you're just like, that's all that's politics. Right. So what I see is like there is an Ill, a whiff of illegitimacy, illegitimate. Yeah. Illegitimate. Yeah. With EB because of this the gross way kind of happened. And so the legitimacy of the government is hugely important in these days. We just had a fucking convoy threatening to bring down a government. Just say. Well, on that note, I think this is a really interesting discussion. I learned a lot. I got a lot off my chest. Uh, I have more to get off my chest on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what Twitter's built for. So, <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> but Mo, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. Thank you so much. No, this this was uh, this was a real honor. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I could talk about uh, some things that I've been covering for the last uh, month or so. And and am I an honorary bad bitch at least for today? Like, can I call myself that? Is that okay? You're an honorary bad bitch. <laughs> Might be the baddest bitch that we've had. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Come with it. This is big for me. This is big for me. It's going straight into that Twitter bio, right? Yeah. Honorary bad bitch. Yes. We love it. You know, Mo, you gave a lot of context around what's happening in BC and knew you were the perfect person to talk about this with. Um, For all who don't know, as we said at the top, Mo has his a podcast that turned into a TV show and it's called, this is Van color. Check it out. Mo, where can people reach you? The best, the best place is Twitter, obviously at Van color. Yeah. If you're outside of BC, uh, you can find the show in podcast form or on YouTube. I think check has, it has all the segments on their channel. Uh, but if you are in BC, yeah. Tune into check Thursday nights at nine for, for me interviewing people. Amazing. Fabulous. Don't forget to become a full paid subscriber of the podcast, badandbitchy.com. And Erica, I will see you later this week for Misogynist of the Week. 